Thanks for listening to the Courageous Church Podcast. We want you to know that wherever you are, God is with you. We hope this message leaves you feeling loved, encouraged, and courageous. We thank you for tuning in. Courageous Church, courageous people. And now, here's today's message. All right, we are in a series called The Gospel According to Paul. And this is a series that I'm excited about teaching because Paul is responsible for over half of the New Testament. Paul is a bad mamma jamma because Paul was, he was, he was called to the Gentiles. Jesus anointed him himself. Jesus calls Paul. He calls Paul on his road to Damascus. Paul is on his way to, 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 to uh, persecute Christians, lock Christians up, and drag them into, in, in, into prison because of their beliefs and their values about Jesus. And Jesus himself knocks Paul off of his mule, off of his horse, and he blinds him and he says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. Jesus speaks to him. Jesus shows him his light. Jesus helps him to understand what he should do next. And he hears the voice of God and everything in Paul's life changes. And then Paul becomes an evangelist to the Gentiles. And Paul starts to write letters to different churches in throughout, throughout the world, throughout the regions. And, and we get to read up on Paul's writings to these different churches. And so today I want to go into the what some believe chronologically is the last book that Paul wrote, which is the book of Romans. And Romans is a great book to jump into because I feel like Romans is one of those books where Paul is sharing some strong meat. Paul is getting closer towards the end of his time on earth. And Paul has gotten to a place to where he has matured in the scriptures and matured in the spiritual world, matured in his calling. And he's starting to go for the biggest city that has the most secular culture in all of the region in Rome. And now he's making a very, very, very big advancement in the kingdom by helping to encourage and establish believers here in Rome. So let's go to the book of Rome. I'm sorry, the book of Rome. Let's go to the book of Romans and uh, we'll go into chapter number one. And we're going to read about some stuff that Paul said, and this is going to be really, really good. Are you guys ready? I asked you guys during this series to bring your physical Bibles with you. This is going to be an old school series. I wanted to kind of feel old school. I want you to have these pages in your hand because these pages mean something. They have a lot of value. They carry a lot of weight. Let me tell you something. When the world around you is constantly changing, I promise you what won't change is the Word of God. This is something that remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And it's going to lead and guide you without changing its thought processes or opinions or things of that nature. It's going to say the same thing it said 2,000 years ago today. And so I want you guys to know that the Word of God works in your life. If you got a, if you got a Bible, throw it up at Let me see. Let me see. Where are we at today? Oh, wow. Look at that. Listen, we were about 15% last week. I think we're up to about 30% this week. That's good. Very, very good. If you're watching online, grab a, a Bible, a physical Bible, and just join us in this time. I think this is going to be a good time. If you can, take that Bible and stand to your feet. And we're going to read just a couple of verses in the book of Romans chapter number one. If you would stand to your feet just really quickly, we're going to read the word as, an, as a, a sign of honor. 
and respect to the word we stand. And this is something that we're starting now. This is a new custom that we'll start at Courageous. We stand when the word of God is being read. Uh, we stand when, when officials and presidents and kings and queens walk into rooms. And so how much more should we honor the word of God? And so this is something that we're going to start doing at Courageous Church because we honor and we value the word of God. Are you ready for reading? Okay, we're going to the book of Romans chapter number one. And I'm going to read in the 14th verse down to 17. And it says this, and these are the words of Paul. It says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and to the foolish. (laughs) I can say a whole lot about that. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from, f- from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I want to push you back up to that 16th verse and I just want to underscore this again. Now, this is, Paul's, this is Paul's introduction to the church of Rome. And these are the first real words that he shares with them that is gospel related. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. You can sit down. You can be seated. Before I give you my title, I'm going to give you a quick story. Um, I love sharing my business so it helps you to feel better. So this is a vulnerable moment for pastor. So my wife and I had just graduated from Bible college and we we, we took our first, uh, we actually took our second full-time ministry job. We had a full-time ministry job while we were in Bible college as well. But we took our first ministry job that was away from Texas all the way up in upstate New York, y'all. Hello, somebody. We were in a small town called Horseheads, New York. Yes, Jesus. Help us all. Yeah. There was snow everywhere. There were, uh, I I had my first encounter with what they call an oil tank, an oil tank that was outside of my house. We lived in a house that was 120 years old, something crazy like that. It was at the base of a mountain, yeah, you're talking about city slickers and my wife and I, concrete jungle livers and my wife and I are now in the country woods. There was, there, 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 the road getting to my house was, was, was paved with dirt and there, there were wild animals and chickens and, and all kinds of stuff coming down. Yeah, and bears that would come in our yard and do different things, uh, deer that would come. I'm telling y'all, we were surrounded by situations that we had never been exposed to. It was a great time for us. We've been adventurous for a long time. Y'all thought we started being courageous when we came to Tampa, y'all. We started this a long time ago. And so my wife and I, uh, we started getting on this journey of fitness while we were there. We started getting really serious about leaning into our health and our fitness. We're in our early 20s. We're like, listen, we're going to do ministry. and We're going to be healthy. We're going to do some great things. And so we go to the doctor and uh, the doctor, uh, my wife and I, we both, you know, we're, we're talking to our doctor. We got the same doctor and the doctor is, uh, we're trying to figure out how, what's the best route for weight loss. And so we're, we're trying to figure it out. And so, so they give us some good things that we can, we can do and they prescribe some things for my wife.
life. And so I asked the doctor, I said, well, hold up now. Hold on. Swole, hold up. How, can I get in on that? That looks like something I might be able to partake in as well. Can I get some as well? I would love some help with this weight loss too. She says, well, you know, actually that would interfere with your other prescriptions that you're currently on. So it's not a good thing that we write that prescription for you. Let's just, let's, let's just not do that. So, okay, cool. So we get into about two or three weeks in and my wife is, you know, she's taking these meds and I'm seeing this, this, this increase and weight loss is dramatic for her. And I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I honestly start getting a little jealous. I'm like, come on now, hold on now. Listen, I want to, want to lose too. You know, we do everything together. And, and, and so the doctor told me not to take the meds that it wasn't good for me, but you know, I had done my own research on Googleations. <laughs> told y'all I'll leave Googleations alone. And, uh, and so I, I decided that I was going to sneak one day and, and just take one of, these, one of these wonderful weight loss pills. And, and, and uh, so I took my regular meds. I wasn't even smart enough not to take my regular meds that day. I was in my early 20s. You know, you think you know everything when you're in your early 20s. And so I took my regular meds. Then I took the, the med that my wife was taking. I snuck one. My wife didn't know, and then we got off on the road, down the road to go take care of business, and, you know, we, we were moving down the road, and, you know, uh, as we got down the road, I was, my, my plan was we had to drop off my wife first at work, and, and then when we got to my wife's work, as soon as I dropped her off, I felt a little something. Mm. Felt, felt a little funny, a little, little tingliness, you know, just a little tingliness back in this area and, you know, just something, a little buzz, tingliness. I'm, okay, cool, no problem. You know, sometimes you take a med for the first time, things happen. So I continued to go forward. We were taking the kids to school that day. They were really young. I think my kids were probably four and five at that time. They were like kindergarten and first grade. They were really young. And then I started noticing something else happening. This tingling began to become like uh, almost like a, a, a black blur like I, I almost like I, I started to see like some 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 stars a little bit in in the sky I was driving it was a bright beautiful day so I knew something was up something was wrong I say oh my goodness something has happened I'm having some kind of side effect everything will be okay I get further down the freeway and the blindness gets greater and I mean this is really scary because I'm almost to the kids school and we finally get to the school where the kids are and I dropped the kids off. And as soon as I get the kids, oh, no, 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 that's not what happened. I got to the school and found out they didn't have school that day. Now, you got to understand, I'm holding my breath like, okay, I, I'm sure if something's wrong with me, I can get myself to an emergency room or somewhere, but I got to get these kids situated first because they can't see daddy fall out. They can't see daddy. They can't see me like this. No way they can't see it. I know something is wrong. It's getting worse and worse as time is going. And out of nowhere, I kid you not, I stop at a stop sign right by the school after we leave, and I look to my left, and I see our church bus, our church bus to my right. It was one of the members of our of our church. She was on staff with us. I immediately jump out of the car, put it in park, jump out of the car, and I flag her down. I said, listen, something's wrong with me. I need you to take my kids right away. Just take my kids, please. Just take them. As soon as she took the kids, I picked my phone up with my last bit of sight, and I dialed 911 on my phone. I'm not kidding. This really happened, guys. 
I press call and the, the ambulance is pulling up. You know, they, the sirens are ringing for the pastor that has taken the medication that he shouldn't have taken. And they pull up and they pull me in. And then the first question they ask me is, is uh, Mr. Green, are you trying to hurt yourself? Is there, is there something wrong? Is there, do, how, do, how do we deal with this? And then out of nowhere, I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I just took a medication that I shouldn't, that I, that I should. Then I started, my breathing started messing with me. I mean, this thing was really messing with me. It was not coming off of me at all. It was getting worse. I actually thought I was going to lose my life. I started praying and saying, repenting, Father, forgive me. <laughs> I didn't mean to take it. <laughs> Created me a clean heart. <laughs> forgive me for my sins, Jesus. I mean, it was really bad, y'all. And as we are driving down the freeway, they have oxygen on my face trying to get me to restore, trying to get me to come back around. We get to the emergency room, and I finally start coming back around. I finally started coming to, and, and you know, the thing that I didn't want the most was for them to call my wife. <laughs> All my husband say amen. This is not a situation where you want your wife to show up and walk in. This is a situation where you maybe want your pastor to show up, but not your wife. Not your wife who was there at the doctor's office with the doctor who told you not to take the meds. And so my wife gets ready to walk in. I can see her from a distance. I've regained my strength. I've got an ivy hook to my arm. They've got me in an ER room. And as soon as she walks up, I look over at my nurse. I said, can you make me look worse than what I look? Please. My wife walks up and she looks at me. And of course, she makes sure that everything is all right. She checks in with the nurses to make sure I'm good. And then finally, she says the three words that no husband wants to hear in a situation like that. She, she says, shame on you. <laughs> so today, out of the spirit of me sharing my issues with you, my wife says, shame on you. But today, I want to preach a message called shame off you shame off you as we get into this second installment of this teaching by Paul. Shame off you. Father, thank you so much that I'm able to be vulnerable, share my business, talk about the stuff I've done wrong. Lord, I pray even in the simplicity of sharing something like that, Lord, that it sets someone free. Lord, I thank you that by the time we get to the end of this message, guilt, shame, all of those things that the enemy loves to cause to come our way to keep us from connecting to you. Lord, I pray that you would take that and remove it from all of our hearts as we lean into this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. amen. Look at the person next to you and say, shame off you. Shame off you. Oh, that's good. This 16th verse of the first chapter of Romans it's probably one of the most iconic, one of the most legendary, and one of the most powerful words of the greatest literary of the greatest literation that has ever been contributed by Paul. This is his first words to Rome in sharing that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He starts his whole conversation with them out of all the things that he could have said, out of all the stuff that he could have, he could have shared about, out of all the areas that he could have addressed. He starts 
off his conversation with them, talking about how important it was that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is powerful. This is important. This is something worth taking note of because Paul saw it so important that he would stop to share how valuable it was for him not to be ashamed of the gospel. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, what you need to understand is that Rome was an extremely secular area. It was, it was very secular in many ways, from culture all the way to religious beliefs. Uh, they would do some really crazy things in Rome, like sometimes, you know, we, we get these Olympics and, you know, some of the things that we do, you know, coliseums and things of that nature. Sometimes they, they, they will perform Olympic events naked, mm-hmm. Just naked, for, just because they're different and they could. The, the Romans were really different types of people. They had some strange, spooky religious beliefs as well. They would mix in some, some, some new age stuff with some new old age stuff. And they would hear something about Jesus, but they would also add something in about some other stuff as well that that was being taught in Rome because Rome was a very liberal, free city where a lot of different things could happen and a lot of things were happening. Rome was also considered at the time the epicenter of society. Rome was like the, the New York City or the L.A., of the area in the region because everything flowed through Rome. Commerce flowed through Rome. A culture flowed through Rome. Rome was a place of influence. Rome was a place that you wanted to be. Rome was the place that would have the best homes and the best living situations. Rome was built up a lot more than the other cities around there. So Rome was a very, very big city to go after. And so I understand now why Paul saved it for last because Paul needed to make sure he had his duckies in a row before he went after Rome. See, you couldn't just come in Rome any kind of way. You had to be ready for Rome. You had to be ready to preach when you came to Rome because you would have all types of thoughts and ideologies that would fly at you while you were trying to tell people about Jesus and Rome. And so he had to make sure he had his stuff ready to go. Rome was an easy place to be a safe Christian. Oh, this is good. You know, y'all know what safe Christian, and you know what safe Christianity is. Safe Christianity is, is, is the type of Christianity that you live where you live to not offend anybody else around you. Oh, I love Jesus, but if I see you don't love Jesus, I'll turn my music off because I don't want you to be offended by the Jesus that I serve because I love you so much. I just don't want to hurt your feelings, and so I'll make sure that I'm a kind Christian, and I'll make sure I turn my music down so that I don't offend you, okay? Is that okay? Is that low enough for you? You see, the safe Christianity, the safe Christianity where, where it's okay to come to church on Sunday and say, praise the Lord, but if I catch you out of the church on Monday, it feels like a totally different individual because it's easy to be Christian when you're around other believers, but when you're around people who put pressure on your salvation and pressure on your Christianity, then we find out who you really are. And God is, it has, has Paul in this city where Christianity is safe, and what happens is in safe Christianity is it gets mixed and mingled with other beliefs. And so Paul knows that he has to come right through the door 
and be very strong and if I might say a bit aggressive with his approach to the Roman people because of the amount of compromise that he has already experienced and seen in Rome itself. You see, Paul is from the region. He grew up in the area, so he kind of knew what was in Rome. He already understood how they operated and how they got down. And so this is interesting because he's got to come a specific way. He needed to make sure that he brought a, a, a sound doctrine to them, you see. And so you got to be careful because oftentimes the enemy doesn't mind you coming to church and having a goosebump experience with Jesus. He doesn't mind us coming to church and having a few aha moments where you shed a few tears. But what he's really concerned about is if you leave this room and actually challenge yourself to change the way that you see life and the way that you treat people and the way that you talk and the way that you walk and the way that you talk to your neighbors and the way that you communicate with the people on your job. This is the type of Christianity that the enemy is, is banking that we will not lead, that we will not live. And this is why Courageous Church is here because we came to stand for the fullness of the gospel. This is why we want to introduce you to the power of the Holy Spirit because he is the one that's going to give you the boldness and the courage to walk out of this building and say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I will turn my music down if it stops work from happening, but I will not turn it all the way off because the power of the Lord that's coming out of that music is keeping me from tearing you into two pieces in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah. Somebody say amen right there. Yeah, yeah. Anybody ever had a boss that you needed the Holy Ghost to keep? No, I'm just joking. No, not, not anybody here. I'm sure everybody here has had great bosses that you didn't need any Holy Spirit for at any time to ever have to deal with in Jesus' name. And so Paul is talking a lot about he talks a lot about making sure that he's very straightforward with the gospel because it's important to know that being a safe Christian is not where Jesus wants any of us to be. This is why Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be a coward with the way that I carry Christ. Isn't it interesting that when we were unsaved, ooh, we, we hit the club hard. We went to parties hard. We did it all the way in. Anything we were involved in, we were the life of the party. Listen, when we showed up, the party showed up with us. Come on, somebody. Anybody remember how you used to be before you found Jesus, and then all of a sudden you find God, and then you want to be sheepish? They say, let's worship Jesus. Okay. Is this high enough? Can I just put my hands to my side? When you were in the world, you would scream like a wild man and you would wave your shirt over the top of your head and you didn't care who saw anything because you were bold. I'm asking for the same boldness. Jesus is asking for the same boldness. Paul is asking for the same boldness that you had in the world to be bold like that about Jesus. And let me tell you why your boldness is important. Because the city we live in is 80% unchurched and they're waiting on the sons and daughters of God to reveal themselves. And you cannot reveal that which is not bold. You've got to be bold if you're going to stand for Jesus nowadays. And you've got to be bold if you're going to do it in a city that is filled with compromise. Can I just keep teaching? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He says, uh, verse 33 says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge 
uh, before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is, come on now. This is, this is the gospel that, that we stand behind. This is the gospel that we are saved by. This is the gospel that Paul has come to preach in the city of Rome. This is the gospel that is filled with absolutes and black and whites. This is the gospel that has absolutely no compromise or shame to it because there was a gruesome price that was paid for this gospel to be stood on. Do you understand what happened to all of the apostles of the faith? These beautiful men who gave up everything that they had to follow Jesus. Do you understand that they were all martyred? Do you understand some were skint alive? Do you understand some were crucified upside down? Do you understand that some were fed to lions and ripped to pieces? Do you understand some were thrown off cliffs to stand for this gospel that we are sheepish about at times and scared to tell people that we are a believer? There was a price that was paid for Paul to stand for this gospel that he's standing for. And Paul says, I'm not going to be as bold as a lion as I was to crucify Christians and to stand and approve the stoning of Stephen and not be as bold to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ now that I've given my life over him and I have been converted. Y'all remember that word from last week? Paul had a conversion experience. That means he turned from one way to go another way. That means he repent from what he did and he turned and went the other way. Do you understand what repent means? Repent means that you do a 180 degree turn, not a 360 degree turn. If you do a 360 degree turn, you end up in the same place that you were. And that's not the Christianity that Jesus died to give us. He died to give us 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so he wants us to do 180s. That means that when we stop, we're headed in another direction and we're pointed in another way. And we're starting to move our feet towards this gospel that has, that, that has been a huge price that's been paid. And Jesus himself that I just read, these are the words of Jesus that I just read in Matthew, says that if you are ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. So don't expect me to stand up for you in heaven when you never stood up for me here on the earth. Oh, this is the gospel. See, I came to teach the book today because I want to make sure we understand what the expectation is and what the standard is. This is God speaking through his son Jesus about the price that he has paid so that we can have access to his father. And he says, if you don't accept that sacrifice, if you don't appreciate what I have done for you, and if you are not, al if you are not allowing yourself to, to stand up and to stand for me here on earth, Earth, I cannot stand up and stand for you there in heaven. It's right here in scripture. Let me read it for you again just so you can see. Y'all like, hey, don't say that, Pastor. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Open that wonderful Bible I just had you bring there. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. If you look at it, if you look at it in the book that you have, it's written in red. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, and I quote, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I, I will disown before my father in heaven. 
Jesus says, I came to be very clear about this gospel that I came to deliver and die for. Jesus says, I'm going to pay a price for your salvation that's going to be so big that the only thing I'm asking for you is to not be ashamed of your relationship with me. Not be ashamed to tell the people that you go to school with that you love Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so this is so important. This is why Paul's first real words to Rome was, I'm not ashamed, because he understood how serious Jesus was about it. So let's get into some points here, because I want you to take some notes. I want you to be, I want you to, listen, I, I, think, I think a devil-stomping church is a note-taking church. Take you some notes so you can stomp the devil down Monday through Friday. In Jesus' name, because I'm telling you, he's going to come for you when you get word like this, and he's going to come mess with you when you start hearing messages like this and take it seriously, and you got to have something to go back to other than the video playback, because you can't go back to the video sometime. You need to be able to pull those notes up that the Lord told you to write down during the message, so I want to challenge you to take notes. Um, so let me ask you, how do we live a life that's free from shame? Because shame seems to be the main subject here as it relates to Paul's teaching. Shame seems, this, this is Paul's first subject matter. After, after he says all his warm greetings in the first chapter of Romans, after he says everything that he's excited about in the first chapter of Romans, the first thing of serious content that he addresses is shame. And so I think that this is important enough for us to go down the road to really dig a bit about this. So how do we live free from shame? I'm glad you asked. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to remember who you were before you got saved or remember who you were before you met Jesus. I want you to remember who you were before you were saved. This is important because when you forget <laughs> when you forget who you were before you met Jesus, I, I always can tell people who have forgotten who they were before they met Jesus. See, people who forget who they were before they met Jesus forget how important it is for other people to know Jesus. People, people, who, people who forget who they were before they met Jesus actually judge and condemn and try and shame those who haven't given their lives to Jesus. People who have not given their lives, who, who forget that, 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 that who they were before they were saved, often judge people about the same stuff that they used to do before they got saved. Sheesh, isn't that a contradiction? Oh, I can't believe you doing so. I can't believe you said such a. I can't believe you over there such a. I, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> All full of the Holy Ghost. Or is it the Holy Ghost? Because my Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. My Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit is the discerner of all men. And so maybe instead of judging people, and trying to make people feel bad and shaming them into their salvation, which never works. Maybe we should pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is broken on the inside of our friends, our, our brothers, our sisters, our family members. That they might have an encounter with Jesus like Paul did that would knock them off the beast of their sin that would cause them to see their need for Jesus. 
And so let's talk about this a little bit. So, so, so you got to remember who you were before you were saved. I love Romans 3 and 23 because this is something that we all need to remember on a regular basis. This might be one you might need to commit to memory. It says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ah, this is good. This is good because some of us think that we're just absolutely God's gift to the world and we can do absolutely no wrong now that we're saved and we love Jesus. But the Bible says that all have sinned. And I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care how long you've been saved watching this online. You were a sinner in need of grace, in need of forgiveness, in need of mercy, in need of healing. And the moment you forget that you were a sinner saved by grace is the moment you open the door for shame, is the moment that you allow the enemy to sneak back in. See, you got to remember that you were messed up. You got to remember the stuff that you used to do. You got to remember who you were. See, I don't forget often who I was and the things that I used to do. Isaiah 64 and 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness acts are like filthy rags. We're all shriveled up like a leaf. And the like, I'm sorry, and like the wind, our sins sweep, our sin sweeps us away. You gotta understand that our righteousness on the best day, on the day we thought we were the absolute greatest, is of filthy rags outside of the righteousness of Jesus. You gotta understand that the only reason that you are righteous is because Jesus, the righteous one, gave his life so that you could become righteous. Oh, this is good. And by faith, this is why the Bible says that you must confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead and you shall be saved. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10. When you understand the reason why it says that, it says that because you've got to understand that Jesus was the only righteous one. He was the only sinless, spotless lamb. He was the only person that ever walked the world and never committed a sin. Jesus is the only perfect man, so none of us can be perfect until we go see Jesus. And until then, we got this dirt bag that we got to deal with every single day. It's called the flesh. You know the dirt bag too? That dirt bag gets on my nerves all the time. Y'all don't get it yet, okay? Uh, so God created us. He formed us from the dust of the ground. What is dust made of? Dirt. So my skin is made of dirt and dust. So this is a dirt bag. Are you get it? All right, cool. Some of y'all get it on the way home. It's all right. <laughs> Amen. I never forget that I used to be a liar. I never forget that I used to be a thief. I used to steal baby shoes from... From, uh, from malls when I was little. Middle school, I remember. Baby shoes used to steal from dealers to bring back to the hood to sell them. I was a thief. I was a thief. I was a liar. I was a manipulator. I was deeply selfish. Oh, I was grossly selfish when I met my wife. God had to show me how selfish I was, how self-centered I was. And because I remember who I was before Jesus transformed me, it keeps shame at bay and it keeps that pride from raising up on the inside and it keeps me seeing my need for Jesus. Oh, this is good. You got to remember who you were before you were saved and until you can be real with yourself and say, I was a liar, but he saved me. I was a manipulator, but he raised me. I was someone who was consumed with all types of 
things, but he rearranged me. Until you can say that, then you can't be free from the guilt and the shame because the enemy constantly will hold it over your head what you refuse to, 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 to repent and say what God has done in your life. You gotta be willing to say God delivered me from that. You gotta be willing to say he saved me from that. And the moment that reality becomes a reality, it removes the shame. And can I say this? If you haven't received Jesus and you're not really walking with him, and you haven't really had a, con a, conver a conversion experience, at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that so that you can say yes to Jesus too, and you can start this road towards the, the purpose by which God has created you for because the steps of a righteous man have been ordered by the Lord, and the only way to get in the steps that the Lord has ordained for you is to say yes to him. Can somebody say amen? amen. Number two, I got to remember the shame Jesus bore on the cross. So number one was, remember who you were before you were saved. Number two is, remember the shame Jesus bore on the cross. Hebrews 12 and 2 says this. Somebody, well, I'm going to give you a moment. Get, turn to Hebrews 12, 22. 12, I'm sorry. Yeah, Hebrews 12 and 2. Hebrews 12 and 2. This is some good stuff right here. My goodness gracious, I think the word wants to talk to us today. We're going to listen and let him speak. Hebrews 12 and 2 says this. Let me start at 1 because this is good too. See, this is why you got your physical Bible. I was able to look up above 2 and just go right there. You can't do that when you just look, go to straight to the digital version of it. You're going to pull up just that verse by itself. This is why you need full context. This is good. Romans 12 and, two, 12 and 1 says, Therefore, we are also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is some good stuff here because it helps you to understand that you don't have to carry shame anymore because Jesus was shamed when he went to the cross. Ooh. See, you got to understand that there was, there's a transaction that happens when you receive Jesus. He gives you freedom. You give him your shame. And I need you to understand that when Jesus was stripped naked, I know what we see when we see uh, the crucifixions and when we see the depiction of the crucifixions, but I need you to understand the shame of the cross was the fact that he was stripped naked. He wasn't able to cover himself in front of his own mama, in front of the disciples he spent three years with. The Romans stripped him naked and they beat him down to his very last compound and they stretched him wide and they hung him high where he could not cover himself. No one could cover his nakedness and this is the shame that he stands in and he exchanges his shame for yours. Oh, this is good. So I need you to understand that you don't have to live in shame anymore because Jesus bore your shame on the cross so that you could live free from that guilt and that shame that you carry. He took on your shame looking towards the end of the story. He took on your shame knowing that he would redeem you from that thing that you had done. Look at your neighbor and say, shame off you. 
shame off you because Jesus died to get that thing off of you. Get that shame off of you. See, you carrying around shame and you're not supposed to. You just don't have a revelation of understanding that Jesus died to bear your shame. You don't have to be shamed anymore of the things that you've done in the past. I don't have to be shamed anymore that I used to be a liar. I don't have to be shamed anymore that I used to be a manipulator. That's why I can talk to you about it now because I don't walk in shame anymore and Jesus died so that we could be free of that shame and that guilt and he took on the shame so that we could walk in freedom and liberty. Oh, that's a good reason to say amen. That's a good reason to give God some praise. That's a good reason to get excited. Jesus took my shame with him on the cross so I don't carry shame anymore because Jesus bore my shame when he went to the cross. Number three, remember that the devil accuses you daily. Imagine that. That out of all the stuff you've ever done that you've been forgiven for, okay, it's under the blood. I don't know if you know how salvation works. I don't know if you know how, how this works, but when you receive Jesus, the Bible says that you're forgiven of your sins. That means that the things that you did before you met Jesus and before you asked God to come into your heart through receiving his son, Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. You can do anything in this world and you call on God and ask him to forgive you. You might go to jail and there might be some consequences to pay here on earth, but you have been forgiven in heaven. I need you to understand that there is no height, there is no depth, there is no principality, there is nothing that your father in heaven will not forgive you for when you call on him and you cry out to him and you ask him to do just that. And so when you get that revelation that you have been forgiven, the only person that can try and pull you down is the person that's down himself. Do you understand that the devil's already defeated? That's not just a cute song we sing. He's already. No, 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 no. He's truly defeated. I need you to understand that Lucifer was booted from heaven. He was cast into the earth. He's already been condemned. He's already been, he's already been condemned to the lake of fire. It's already going to happen. It's, there's no change in the script. He's going to burn forever. And his desire is to try and convince you that your salvation is not real by reminding you of your shame. Oh! Let me read it for you. This is good too. Turn to Revelations chapter 12. Turn to Revelations chapter number 12. Revelations 12 and 10. Anybody got a physical Bible? Anybody got a physical Bible? Revelations 12 and 10. Just read that one verse for me, somebody. Just read that one verse. It's a lengthy verse, but somebody read it. I just out loud. Just give it to me. Give it to me, Jaden, my college student. Come on, Princess. I ain't seen you in three days. Say whatever you want to say. <laughs> you want to preach? You want to come up here? I know you do, but just give me some time. Give it to me. Romans 12, I'm sorry, Revelations 12 and 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, uh-huh. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Yes. Woo, 
this is good. This says two things all at once. It says that the, it says that he's been cast down, which is the devil. He no longer sits in a high place. He no longer sits in a place of authority. He has no position. He has no victory. He can't do anything to you unless you believe he can do something to you, and then you give him power. But what it also says here is that he is the accuser of the brethren. That means that he his job is to go before God every day and try and convince God of your sins. Oh, did you see how they talked? Did you see how they talked to that person? You saw that. Mm-mm, I told you. I told you they wouldn't save. They don't, they don't have a relationship. They don't love you. No way they love you. Look how he's acting. But look how he's doing. Listen, I need you to see the devil like a lawyer in the courtroom. Oh, this is, this is a good visual now. Imagine a demonic Johnny Cochran. Johnny, I love you. I'm just making an illustration right now. That's all. But I'm saying... He's that good at making his point because he sees everything that you do. Oh, you see? I told you. Look at him. Look at him on that device. Uh-huh. Told you he's going to go back. Look at him. I told you he didn't love you. Oh, look at her. Look at her. She's still mad, and she still refuses to forgive. I told you. Look at him. Look at these people you told about you didn't save. Who, who, who saved? <laughs> she ain't saved. And he dang sure ain't saved. Look at their marriage. It's just falling apart. You see that? <laughs> that that's, that's you right there, uh-huh. Yeah, they, they don't love you. How can they love you and they don't even acknowledge you in their marriage? How? Come on now. Are you, look, look, look. I told you they was going to start believing other stuff. They live in Tampa. <laughs> well, they think rocks have power. Look, I, I told you they don't believe in the full gospel. You see that sprinkling they doing? Uh-huh. They, they mixing stuff. Uh-huh. Told you he wasn't really saved. Told you. Look at him playing with witchcraft. I went right back to the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Tarot cards. Told you. They don't love you. They looking for some other kind of power. Not yours. This is the devil in the courtroom of heaven trying to appeal that you are not really a real Christian, that you're not really saved, that you're not really born again. And I need you to understand that the Bible also says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession on your behalf. So that means that while the voice of the enemy is coming at, your, at the Father in heaven trying to convince him of what you've done wrong, I need you to understand for every one word that the devil says, Jesus is saying ten other ones. I saved them and I redeemed them and my blood is still running for them. No, 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 no. Don't cast judgment on them. I've died for that sin. I died for that habit. I died for that thing that they ran back to. I died for that bottle they keep picking up. I died for that drug that they keep stepping into. I died so that they could be set free. And then he'll do it again and again and again. It says he ever lived to make intercession on our behalf. And when we call out to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Oh, this is so good. And this is why the gospel message is so different from any other, any other religion because we serve a God who will send his only son to die for my sins and yours. Not just today, but also 
the sins you commit tomorrow. Sheesh. What kind of love is that? What kind of passion is that? What kind of heart is that? This is a beautiful type of salvation. His favorite play is to get you to replay your sins so that you feel shame and guilt. His favorite play is to remind you of what you did wrong so that when you come into God's presence, you can't worship. And when you come into God's presence on Sunday, you're so bogged down in your brain about what's not right that you can't worship the God who is right. And if he can convince you that you are not close to him, that you don't deserve to lift up your hands, that you don't deserve to be in his presence, that you don't deserve to be a a consistent church member. Some of you can't even come every week because you're so full of guilt and shame that when you come you leave feeling bad that's not the gospel that Jesus died to give us he came to give us a hope and a future he came to give us a a, a destiny he came that that we might have life and that we have life more abundantly listen to Romans chapter 8 verse number 1 somebody turn to Romans chapter 8 verse number 1 the word is speaking today I feel good because I feel like somebody's catching this revelation that you're thank you Holy Spirit God is not mad at you he's madly in love with you somebody needed to hear that this morning He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He says, you're my daughter. You're my son. My son gave his life so you could be my son. What a revelation. Somebody got Romans 8 and 1? Somebody read Romans 8 and 1 out loud to me. You got it, Erica? Give it to me. That's so good. Read it one more time louder. Therefore, thank you. Therefore, there is there now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. So the guilt that you carry and the shame that you wear, this is self-inflicted. It's not from God. Because Jesus came to free you from your shame. And therefore, if any man is in Christ, he doesn't have to walk in the guilt and the shame anymore. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation? I'm glad you asked. Condemnation is what you is is, is what the enemy does inside of you to make you feel guilty with no change. Condemnation is reminding you of your sin and not reminding you of the grace, not reminding you of the price that was paid so that you could be free from your sins. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And he comes in and he he helps us to move past those things that are wrong on the inside. And he doesn't leave us feeling guilty and condemned. So if you feel guilty or condemned, that is from the enemy. If you feel shame and guilt, it's from the devil. The Holy Spirit will convict you and cause you to make changes in your life that brings you closer to God. The Holy Spirit will begin to arrest you on the inside and give you the grace to move forward in your life in the area of deficiency. 
This is the difference between guilt and shame. This is the difference between condemnation and conviction. And my last point. I'm closing. Plane's about to land. Put your seatbelts back on. Lift up your tables in front of you. Coming in for a landing. Such a good word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Last point. You ready? Point number four is this. Remember that you have been forgiven. I have echoed it throughout my sermon today. But you need to remember when the enemy tries to bring guilt and shame your way, you need to remind him that you've been forgiven. Remind him that you have been forgiven of your sins. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 8 through 9. 1 John, towards the end of the book, 1 John chapter 9. Somebody get there. 1 John chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's not a chapter 9 of 1 John. Only four books, I believe, four or five. Towards the end, before Revelations. 1 John. Chapter 1, verse 8. Anybody got it? Dave, you got it? First John, listen to this. This is going to change your world. Listen to this verse. So okay. good. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. He is faithful and just to cleanse us. Listen, is to purify us, to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I need you to understand that your salvation comes huh, with a washcloth. Your salvation comes with a washcloth and a bar of soap. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes into your heart, not only does he save your soul from hell and damnation, but he also cleanses you. He removes the shame and the guilt. He removes those memories and those bad thoughts in your head about who you were and what you did. He removes all of that guilt and all of that weight that you carry because you refuse to let it go and allow God to come in and do what he wants to do you know I lived in Dallas in 2015 and I remember very distinctly watching TV about a very disturbing situation about a young adult who had been in a standoff for 26 hours with the Dallas police he had a weapon pointed at himself and he was threatening to hurt himself. And this was a very public situation. And it was a very long standoff. Thankfully, the police department sent in a negotiator. Someone to talk him off the ledge. Someone to say something to him that would help him change his mind about harming himself. And after 26 hours of talking this young man out of it. Thankfully, everyone went home 
and no one was hurt. And it made me think about this message that I was preparing today because I wondered to myself, are there people who love Jesus who are still holding themselves hostage for the things that you've done wrong in your life? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I feel the Holy Spirit in the room. Wow. Are you holding yourself hostage for what you feel like God is still judging you and condemning you for? Do you still feel guilt and shame about any sin that you have ever committed in your life? I mean any sin that you brought to Jesus and asked him to forgive you for. Because the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to know who I'm praying for. I'm trying to get you to put the weapon down called guilt and shame. And I want you to embrace grace, mercy, and forgiveness today. This message is not just for the unbeliever. This message today is also for those who have been walking with Jesus for some time. And you continue to remind yourself. The enemy continues to remind you of what is not good about you. But I need you to understand that your father in heaven is good. And he paid a good price so you could be free from your guilt and your shame. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to ask a question. You see, this word today, Pastor, I want to receive this. I want to receive freedom from guilt and shame. If you carry guilt and shame, my God, I feel you, Holy Spirit. If you carry guilt and shame of any kind, if it keeps you from having a good relationship with God, if it's held you up, if the Holy Spirit showed you today, that's it right there. That's why I can't grow because I keep remembering what I have done wrong in the past. So therefore, I can't do right now. If that's you, I want you to throw your hands up right now. If that's you. If you're watching online, hands up. If you carry guilt and shame, if you remind yourself often of things you've done wrong, anybody else, I see you, I see you, I see you. Don't you let the enemy sit on you right now. Don't you let him, oh, this is good. Don't you let him sit on you with guilt and shame. Don't. This is your moment to be free from that thing. Listen, come on. You got to get off from underneath that. Come on now. There you go. Hands up. Anybody else? I want to wait a few more moments because I just feel like there's a few more people in this room. You've been walking with God for quite some time and you just keep reminding yourself of the guilt and the shame. If you're watching online, if you're carrying guilt and shame, I want to challenge you right now. Put a hand up in the chat and we're going to pray for you right now too when I get ready to pray. This prayer is going to be for you as well because I just believe. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear more messages like this one. If you like what you heard, please share with your family and friends. Don't forget to connect with us on our website at courageouschurch.online. Courageous Church, courageous people.